Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. everyone and welcome to Pixels. In this show we cover the gaming news from the gaming industry and hopefully try to give you the tools you need to understand it to the extent that we do understand it, uh, which is not always the case. My name is Patrick Beja and uh, today I'm going to have a very quick show because scheduling was a little bit complicated. So it's going to be only me and uh, just a few topics, which are going to be basically the uh, streaming, which keeps coming. Streaming services keep being announced and we have the uh, project xCloud from Microsoft that was confirmed uh, a few days ago. But I think it's going to be a good time to reflect on why uh, things didn't work out in the past and maybe why they can in the future. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of uh, Sony news as well. Some Red Dead Redemption 2 controversy with uh, Crunch taking up 100 hour weeks for workers at uh, Rockstar, which has been making the headlines in the past couple of days. Uh, the release of Black Ops 4, which is surprisingly well received and a few other uh, little tidbits of news we have a harry potter open world action rpg that leaked and a few other things so let's get started with project x cloud so by now i'm sure everyone has understood that streaming is the future it, basically everyone agrees everyone thinks so and you should too and if you're you don't then you're not Drinking the Kool-Aid, maybe? Maybe you think that streaming video games is not going to work out because it hasn't in the past. And as the world seems to be moving in that direction, um, I wanted to make a point which I think is getting lost in the enthusiasm or uh, lack of enthusiasm for this new technology. Certainly, the the video game industry is moving in that direction, and it has a lot of... Uh, technical to a point, but also commercial advantages for many of the actors. So if it does work out, I think it's advantageous for most of the big actors in the gaming industry to embrace that technology. And if we look back, we've seen that technology implemented or trials at implementing this technology ever since OnLive, which was launched, what was it, 2000. Eight in the form it it uh, was. I'm sorry. I'm I'm checking now. I mean, it was uh, founded in 2003. I think the product launched around 2007 or eight, something like that. And obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, they were uh, not commercially viable, and they were bought by Sony, as was Gaikai, um, to basically uh, create their PlayStation Now service, which itself is not the biggest gaming revolution we've seen. And there have been a few other projects uh, which work or don't, depending on who you ask. Uh, Shadow PC is a French startup that has been uh, enabling the streaming of a complete PC, and you basically have a remote computer in a data center, and you can stream its video, but you do what you want with that computer. And for some people, it works very well. For others, it works, it's touch and go. Uh, and so... That might lead some people to think, well, the technology is kind of like 3D TVs or maybe even VR. It's going to not work out as well as people will hope. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, and most people think uh, that way because of technical issues. A lot of people think technically it the streaming technology is not adapted to video games. Um and, and a lot of people think about uh, bandwidth. People think we don't have the bandwidth for this, which 
I don't think is the case. Bandwidth is mostly uh, capable of playing pretty uh, sustained video streaming. And obviously we have uh, YouTube and Netflix and other video services, which work really well for most people. Of course, in those cases, you have the advantage of uh, having the ability to buffer. So you buffer uh, maybe 30 seconds or a minute of that video. And if the reliability, the, the bandwidth of your connection uh, fluctuates, then you only get, uh, uh, you know, the video doesn't stop because it can play up to a minute or maybe even more uh, before you can feel that impact. And by the time your bandwidth has come back to where it needs to be, then it, band it, it buffers more. So sure, in the case of video, you need to have a constant reliable uh, bandwidth, bandwidth uh, width. <laughs> and that is uh, true. But I really think that in most cases, there are ways of, well, first of all, the infrastructure is getting to the point where video is not so much of an issue, uh, period. And in some cases, I think there is a possibility of having, for example, I'm just, you know, I'm not an engineer, but let's imagine you have a baseline, uh, let's say 480 quality that requires a lot less bandwidth and the additional uh, image encoding comes on top of that if you have the appropriate connection. Of course, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to play the game if you only have bandwidth for the lower resolution, but it does mean that if your bandwidth uh, fluctuates, then you don't get the game that stops entirely. You just default back to the lower resolution and you can still play for a little bit and it's annoying, but it comes back to the higher resolution as soon as your uh, connection is capable of doing that again. So on that side of the technical things, I think there are ways to work around it to make it, of course, not as good as a computer or a console in your home, but workable. The real issue is latency, as we've spoken about many times, and latency is more difficult to uh, fix. We've heard rumors from Project Scarlet, which is the next console and service from Microsoft, which is not just the Project X Cloud, which, by the way, is essentially Xbox, three, uh, Xbox One's only. So... It, it's probably a trial run and maybe the infrastructure in the data centers can be reconfigured to um, to provide higher quality services for their next consoles when the time comes. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. But the point is with the uh, Project Scarlet, which is the next console from Microsoft, we've heard rumors of ways of alleviating the issues of latency because of course... Even if you do have the bandwidth, if you have a high latency, let's say 300 milliseconds uh, to send a command to the data center and get it back and get the video back, then you're going to feel that in your uh, gameplay experience. When you press up or press a button on your controller, then, you know, it takes a, a third of a second to... Uh, manifest that command on screen, that's not a good uh, user experience. People who have been trying uh, the Google Stream, uh, Project Stream service are saying that they don't feel that. So I think in some cases, the infrastructure alone is enough to alleviate that issue. In some cases, you're going to need um, the you know, new technology, whatever it is that Microsoft is developing, some kind of predictive algorithm, machine learning, AI, throw in whatever buzzword you want uh, to describe this, that will somehow magically fix it. Maybe that will happen. But latency is also something that is solved technically. My point is... Uh, that this is not the main issue, uh, the main reason why those previous services have not worked out. Um, some people already had the good uh, infrastructure and uh, technical capabilities to use those services, but even them, even they didn't use them. And the problem was the uh, commercial, commercial offering. Technically, it's one thing, Commercially, if you don't have the games that you want on those services, then obviously you're not going to subscribe. Whether they are Netflix-type, uh, all-you-can-eat, you know, uh, um, subscription services, or even if you buy, you know, let's say you pay 20 bucks to play a game for a week or something like that. I don't know, you know, how much it would be. Don't Let's not get hung up on the uh, amounts. But uh, 
if there are no games you want, then it's not interesting. But if you have games that you do want, then all of a sudden this kind of technology becomes really interesting. And now that we're seeing, I mean, even with Sony's PlayStation Now, the offering isn't super compelling. Even if the technology works, which it doesn't perfectly, Sony doesn't have the networking or data center capabilities that Google or, My or Microsoft has. I'm guessing they're uh, beefing up that offering or that capability for their next console, which I'm sure is going to be just like the Xbox One or the Xbox Two um, and, and is going to have a streaming service included. It seems pretty clear at this point um then the 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 games that you want to play are accessible just at the push of a key on your keyboard in your browser or you know on your console it does become interesting the playstation now isn't perfect in that regard but the next generation will certainly uh, be pushed by the, the actors that have an interest in this. Microsoft, of course, is one. Google is, is seemingly bringing in a sizable competition in that uh, department. And let's not forget, you know, all of the big publishers are going to see an interest in having that kind of technology enabled for them. Um, just in the way that it is interesting to them to access their um, players and their consumers directly through a store on your PC. And yes, it's annoying to have multiple stores, but it will be interesting to them to access their uh, consumers through this service. Of course, it's going to be available on PC, but on any device, really, if you're thinking about it, uh, any device that has a screen can become a way of playing those games, be it a, a phone, a tablet, a TV, uh, streaming box, any of those. So what I'm trying to say is commercially, there's going to be a very strong push to be offering stuff for all of the actors. Because if Sony stays uh, in that mode of, well, we're only going to have our back catalog on this service, uh, Microsoft is not going to be doing that. It's very likely they're going to convert the Game Pass service, which has all of their first party and maybe others, uh, to include... to, to be translated into their streaming service. Similarly, Google is going to partner with a lot of people to offer games, and probably they're going to want to do the latest games. And the uh, competition for the percentage amount that they're taking is going to be higher because you're going to have, again, many different services that offer this. And uh, on top of that, you're going to have each individual um, uh publisher that is going to be offering this service. So they will want you to use that service because they don't have to pay anyone for when you're using that service. They can keep 100% of the uh, amount. Does that mean we're going to have 15 different services? It's possible. Um, I don't think there are going to be 15 different services with um, exclusives, though. Uh, I think if they play their cards right, Sony and Microsoft and possibly Google are still going to be the main players. Uh, you might throw Steam in there if they are, if they have been working on this for a while. And I suspect, you know, we don't know what Valve is doing <laughs> with all of their uh, piles of cash. And they're certainly not developing games, even though they're promising that they are. Um, they're certainly not shipping games, let's say, until now. So maybe they're working on a similar service as well. Uh, the, the, the end result of all of this is that where we didn't have commercial, uh, uh, commercially interesting services before because no one wanted to license their games on, to OnLive, now we are going to. And of course, you know, 10 years have passed and the, uh, technically the technology is much more mature. So bottom line, I do think these services are going to represent a growing portion of the um, gaming market and just like we were reluctant to having uh, games just tied to a service specifically and buying them digitally in the beginning, initially there will be people who will think, well, we don't really want to, have, to use this, uh, we'd rather have a console at home. And that is probably going to be the case for a long time, maybe forever for core gamers like me and probably you. Uh, in the similar way, I think we're going to see uh, 
some advantages to having the streaming service enabled as the infrastructure improves as well. Uh, 5G is designed for low latency, for example. So that might be an option as well. And fiber is, is very low latency and it's... Uh, being more and more accessible in more and more places. And the, the idea that you can just try a game out just by pressing a key, you don't need to download, install, you know, wait a few hours, is appealing. And uh, the fact that you can play on any device, of course, not every game is going to be adapted to a tiny screen of a phone. Um, but that is also going to be, as they say, bringing different kinds of games to get different people. So all of this is kind of common knowledge. I think the main uh, takeaway is that commercial aspect. The services will be interesting because they're of the higher competition and feasibility of these, this technology. So we'll see how it works out, but it seems incredibly unlikely that this is just a, uh, you know, whiffing attempt at a, uh, how do you call it when you throw the baseball like you bat it all the way out of the a home run there you go that's the metaphor i was looking for um maybe it's not going to be a super home run maybe it's going to be uh, uh but it's not going to be a strike out that's the other one i don't think so it's going to exist and it's going to be interesting for different kinds of people Talking about uh, future consoles, Sony has confirmed that they are uh, working on another PlayStation console. They declined to say it's going to be called PlayStation 5, although I would be very surprised if it wasn't. Um, and I think it's going to be, as I said, just like Project, uh, well, Project uh, Scarlet from Microsoft, I think it's going to be both streaming and home console at the same time. And... Um, We'll, we'll see exactly how it works out, but PlayStation now has to be beefed up in order to be a viable player uh, in the next generation, I think. We're probably going to hear more about them at this year's E3, by the way things are going. And, oh, uh, P PSN name change is coming soon. So there are a bunch of details about how it's going to work. You're going to get one free name change, and then it's going to be 10 bucks for non-PS Plus members and 5 bucks for... PS Plus members. Seems reasonable. You don't want people to change their names all the time. What I'm hoping for is that uh, they will enable the ability for multiple people to have the same name. Everyone's doing that, you know, with the hashtag and then uh, uh, a series of phone, four numbers after the name um, for more. And, and that is obviously enabling people to not have their name taken. And, and it's obviously something they should do. It's not clear yet if they are. If they're not, they're just moving the issue, uh, just moving the goalpost or the negative version of the goalpost. Uh, the hole that you're falling into is just a little bit farther, but you're still going to be falling into it because, well, you know the issue there. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the Red Dead Redemption 2 issue. And I mean, we've seen more gameplay uh, trailers and I've been pretty um, uh, vocal about the fact that uh, really we don't really quite see anything that would get anyone to not like the game, to not want to purchase the game. They've been in like neutral communication mode. They only sell you promises. They don't quite sell you uh, on very exact uh, features. So we don't know if they're going to be implemented the way they uh, promise you, but they sell you a dream. And the the reason for this, I think, from a communication standpoint, is that everyone is convinced they want the game. So the only I can't remember if I talked about this last episode. I apologize if I did, but the only result they can achieve if they show you too much or very specific things is well. There are two results: either people still want to buy the game, so it's a, a net neutral result, or people decide, well, you know what, that's not really my thing. So in the end, I'm not gonna get it when it comes when the game is released and that's a net positive uh, a net negative in the end i don't think they can at this point there's so hype for the so much hype for the game that i don't think they can convince more people to get the game that they weren't already uh, that weren't already convinced so i think that's why we've seen this uh muted slash aspirational communication um even with the preview events we've they've get gotten people to play four or five hours of a very compelling experience there is this this as we were talking about this uh fantasy of a 
really living, breathing world, however um, um, cliche that image is. But we don't know what happens after 10, 15 hours. So obviously I'm going to be getting the game. I'm very excited for it. Uh, but yeah, I think that's why they've been communicating in that way. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that it was a perfect uh, run for them up to the point that uh, the <laughs> there was it was a uh, Doug Hauser Dan Dan Hauser sorry um, who is one of the co-founders of the studio went and did an article with um, uh, who was it New Yorker I think um, and he said something about the team working hundred hour weeks uh, several times in 2018 uh, to finish the game. And it's really interesting because the results, the, the feedback or the blowback, I should say, on that uh, quote has been incredibly negative in a way that I don't think would have happened 10 years ago. Um, the gaming industry, the gaming press and the gaming public are, because of all of those stories that we've heard over the years, unbelievably resistant to the idea of crunch. Uh, of course, it still happens. You know, you, you're you're finishing a game and your employees work maybe not 100-hour weeks, but 60-hour uh, uh, weeks, 70-hour weeks. And, and that was regarded as a good thing, kind of, like a necessary evil for a long time. At this point, it's not regarded as a necessary evil. It's regarded as an evil. And the blowback on uh, Hauser's quote was really interesting, well, uh, I think deserved, uh, but also really interesting because it was the one faux pas for Red Dead Redemption 2's communication. I'm sure that he is incredibly well media trained and that he's not supposed to make mistakes like this. And when the article came out, a bunch of people in the PR department put their head in their hands and were thinking, okay, this is the thing. There's always a thing that happens um, before the project finishes and that's the thing and we have to deal with it now. So I, I, he, he put out a statement about this quote uh, saying that he was discussing, he was specifically discussing uh, the writing team, which is the senior writing team of four people and that, of course, they don't expect anyone in their uh, company to work that much. And any uh, additional work time that they put in is something that they uh, do voluntarily because of passion and all of the things we usually hear. Um, I'm not, honestly, I'm not... Uh, oh, it was the New York Magazine uh, that he gave an interview to. And... I, I'm inclined to believe him. Um, I'm inclined to believe that he was specifically talking about the writing team because that was the topic they were discussing in the interview and that he didn't mean the entire company is putting in 100-hour weeks and that the employees are not supposed to, you know, are not forced to work that much. But, I mean, if you're putting in 100-hour weeks, uh, first of all, the voluntary aspect of this is incredibly difficult to define. Uh, peer pressure in a company is really strong. And if all of your coworkers are staying until 8 p.m. to work on that game and you're the person leaving at 6, it doesn't look good. You are pressured to uh, stay longer. And the uh, uh, I think it's fair to say that in any project you do have moments when you uh, have to work more and you have to put in those long hours and, and uh, super difficult weeks. But I also think that in many cases, the people who do that reap more of the benefits of their work than video games uh, employees, video games industry uh, workers do. They you know, most companies won't give you, uh, you know, you don't have like stock options or you, you're not going to get a portion of the um, of the profits of the game. Or if it's a portion, you know, you're going to get 5,000 bucks that year, uh, which is great. But I mean, it's not com uh, 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 proportional to the amount of money, uh, um, 
uh, Rockstar is going to be making on that game or that they made on um, Grand Theft Auto. Yes, it's proportional, but it's tiny. I guess the point I'm making is this is not something that should really be encouraged even if it's voluntary because it's just unhealthy and it's not sustainable and uh, all of these arguments we have heard for many many uh, uh, months and sometimes year years now and i think we're coming to a moment of not quite reckoning because i don't think it's sudden but a, a, a coming of age of the industry where people are actually caring the press is pointing those issues out as issues the gaming public is aware that they are issues um, in a way that we weren't 10 or 15 years ago, even though we did have stories like, you know, the wives of EA and even the wives of Rockstar, which uh, had a, a, its own moment. And those contributed to bringing these issues to the forefront. And that's important. And I think, obviously, I don't think anyone is going to boycott Red Dead Redemption 2. And there's a whole question about should you penalize the the, the work the workers for the um, issues that the company is putting on them. And all of this, I think, is uh, not murky, but, but difficult to fall down on one or the other side of the issue. But I don't think anyone is going to boycott Red Dead Redemption 2. Let's be honest. What is going to happen, though, is public pressure. And more and more, I think uh, the media is informing the public and the public is voicing their discontent at this. And the only result that can really happen is that uh, the industry sort of regulates these kinds of things uh, in a way that is reasonable. Again, I think it's okay to work really long hours when you're finishing up a project. People often say, you know, managers and, and lawyers and whatever put in really long hours and, and super long weeks when they have to finish up a trial or a project or whatever. And in this case, I don't think it should be prevented. But there is a culture of crunch in the gaming industry that goes beyond that. And that is an issue, especially when we have uh, game-as-a-service games, which are essentially constantly releasing stuff. So it's constant crunch, uh, or it could be constant crunch. Um, unionization, I know, is a bad word for Americans, but I think it could be a way of uh, regulating and reining in these practices. I think it could be a very... Um, effective way of doing that if if and the the public consciousness for this among developers and artists and uh it, people who work in the industry is uh starting to happen and again i think the reason that this is important is that it's unhealthy and not sustainable people do burn out people uh do realize after having put as we talked about with telltale last time after having put their life poured their life into a gaming company and a game that they are not uh, the ones that are, you know, that the company really, and it's normal, the company doesn't really care about them. Um, so it's not like it's going to take all of the precautions and precautions and the like loving embrace of their employees. And it's not supposed to. That's why we need the rules. So anyway, I'm not, you know, it might seem like a, a, a socialist rant to some people in the US, especially. I know there's uh, some kind of allergic reaction to these kinds of things. But I hope that most people agree that there is an issue there. And if we can find a way of enabling, uh, you know, voluntary overtime in some cases when it's needed and of course the specifics are very difficult to pin down what how do you define when it's needed how do you define more overtime whatever i'm, I'm guessing that most of these people aren't paid for every hour they work um so even if it is 70 hour weeks maybe three weeks is okay and and uh six months is not and the acceptable thing is somewhere in the middle, maybe closer to the three weeks thing. Um, overall, the culture of crunch, I don't think is a good one. It, it's un dangerous for your health. It means people uh, get, as I said, burnt out, and it's prevalent in this industry. So bottom line, again, uh, going to the bottom line, I think the public is 
realizing all of this. The industry is realizing all of this. And I don't know if it needs to be self-regulation or unionization or government regulation. I have no idea. Um, but I know that it's on the way. And I also think that it's going to take a lot of time. It's not going to be fixed. You know, it's not like, oh, the Red, the, the Red Dead Redemption 2 moment when after that happened, then everyone was fine. It takes time. It takes time for people to make their mind about these things. It takes time for people to consider things like unionization. It takes time for companies to understand that uh, it's unhealthy. And in the long run, you, you uh, churn through employees and you don't get the best people. You don't keep the best people. Um, so it's in everyone's interest to realize this, I, I truly believe. Um, and I think the uh, more and more companies are coming to that realization as well, and implementing those uh, policies doesn't happen in a in a day. Uh, but I think over the next five to ten years, these, the of course, there's still going to be crunch. It's always going to be necessary, but uh, it's gonna it has to be reined in, and it will be. I think within you know a few years. So we'll see if my prediction comes true. Um, so a few more uh, bits of news. Of course, Call of Duty Blackout 4 just came out and it's been really well reviewed. Uh, of course, it's three very solid experiences. So it's very weird to have the classic multiplayer and the zombies mode and the uh, Blackout. And, and it makes for a strange offering because you can't really specialize in all three it feels like uh you, you choose your mode and that's the mode you like and that's the one you play mostly um but it's still you know a, a compelling offering if you enjoy uh the three of them and especially the blackout mode the battle royale mode has been very positively reviewed so um i think most people looked at this and and back at e3 and were thinking all right yes sure we'll see what happens but uh, they've managed to uh, create an experience which is what most people seem to want out of PUBG, as we've said uh, many times over uh, the last few months, and make it polished enough that it's appealing. And there's also a, a gameplay type that people enjoy. It's more uh, time to kill is much smaller in the sense that you jump in, you find a weapon immediately, and uh, you start playing really the game, which is shooting people. Uh, the really interesting question, which we did think about um, a few months ago, I think, is how do they perpetuate this mode? Um, do they just sell another Call of Duty next year? Or do they break out Blackout into another mode and make it, you know, free to play or something it's possible i think it's their thing though selling you the new game every year and it's worked out pretty well um even though the there have been declining sales or at least uh, physical sales they've uh, put out an interesting press release uh, uh activision that is which states that uh, they have a new record for uh online sales and downloading uh, so digital sales and that is a really interesting way of uh, of spinning the positive uh, press release uh, for that specific aspect of the sales that is positive um, because the physical sales are down. But I can really believe that uh, people are buying stuff digitally now. And that re record, uh, they mentioned it's like the best-selling uh, PlayStation Store game on day one. Uh, or something to that effect. So I'm sure it's selling quite well. Uh, it remains to be seen if it's selling better than the previous one. It wouldn't surprise me that it doesn't. But I'm sure they're still making money. And of course, uh, the game on PC is available through the Battle.net client, which means they don't have to pay the 30% to uh, Valve to sell it on Steam, which means more money for them. Um, back to the point I was making, though. What do they do with their Battle Royale mode? Initially, I thought they would need to spin it out into a free-to-play game somehow, but I'm actually not sure anymore. I think their thing is selling you a box every uh, year, and they then they sell you additional maps and stuff throughout the year, and that's what they do, they do, and it works for them, and they are being successful with this game, and people who want to check out the Blackout, the, the blackout mode are going to think at some point in a, a couple of months, people who haven't already bought it, well, I also get the other mode, so what the hell, I'll just buy it with this uh, 
30% off uh, deal that I'm seeing now. And it's, you know, a, a bunch of money that Activision puts in their pocket immediately um, without having to sell you additional stuff. And if they do sell you additional stuff, uh, better for them. So it's still a good deal and it's the way they've always done it. And uh, in the, you know, immortal and undying words of Tony Stark, uh, that's how Grandpa Call of Duty did it. That's how Daddy Call of Duty did it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. So um, I think that's possibly how they're going to do it. But regardless, Blackout is a good mode. I might even, you know, I haven't bought a Call of Duty, a Call of Duty for a long time, and I, I'm hearing so many good things from, um, you know, professionals and and people in my uh, Slack channel, um, in in the Rendezvous Tech and Rendezvous Jeu uh, channels, are really happy about it. So I think they they managed to do something we didn't think they could. It's a success. And um, Activision, that's, you know, the you can um, poo-poo the AAA machine and the industrial nature of a yearly release schedule. But, you know, it also means that you're going to get a polished, reliable uh, uh, baseline experience. And that's what we're seeing here. Okay, so uh, Harry Potter open world action RPG, uh, there's a leak that uh, essentially showed a bunch of video from that game that we had no idea existed. Well, I guess we had some idea because there were some uh, job uh, offers that could lead you to think that maybe that's what, uh, uh, who is it that's doing it? Can't remember. Um uh, it's Avalanche Software, not Avalanche Studios. But uh, it seems like a cool take on the Harry Potter universe. You're playing as a uh, wizard who comes in fourth year and you, you, you experience Hogwarts and in, a, in a way that is separated from the canon of the, the books, meaning you don't meet Harry or Hermione or Ron or any of those, hopefully, um, but it still permeates the entire universe. And I would love to play a game like this. What I'm hoping is that it's not just, you know, using your wand as a uh, gun. You know, I don't want to be throwing uh, magic bolts to kill every enemy. I hope they find more interesting and fun ways of using the concept of magic in the world to uh, create a, a fun experience. So probably it will be announced at um, E3 this year, we're guessing, uh, if they're doing some uh, consumer testing, which is where the uh, footage leaked from. So yeah, I, I'm very curious about that. what that would be if it can be something that is akin to... Uh, basically, if the relationship to the world of Harry Potter is akin to that of um, the Lord of the Rings in the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games, uh, I would be very interested because that was the right way of approaching it uh, in that world, but not hammering you over the head with all of the characters that you know that make cameos every half a uh, second. Um, Star Citizen uh, is alive, and the Squadron 42, their single-player game, they, there are a number of different uh, projects in that uh, uh, <laughs> gargantuan uh, endeavor. Uh, they are at almost $200 million of funding, and we keep wondering where all that money goes. And uh, apparently, it's to pay actors. And they showed a trailer for Squadron 42, and they have... I would say, you know, there's Mark Hamill and uh, uh, Gillian Anderson and Michael Reese davis and Gary Oldman and Henry Cavill and uh, Mark Strong. Like, there are real actors that have been working for that game, and I'm guessing that's where they're putting the money. The trailer itself, I'm, I mean, I think the reaction has been universally, maybe... That's the nature of, of people's reactions, I think. And um, it, it, I mean, it's really difficult. The, the actors are cool, but the game has to be a good game. And it seems a little bit generic. But, uh, you know, I want a Wing Commander uh, a spiritual sequel. And I would love for it to be that. But, um, 
we're still not sure exactly what it's going to be beyond lots of well-known faces uh, motion captured. So, yeah. And Star Citizen, Citizen, I'm not going to get back into the whole question of, is it a scam? Is it, you know, some people are happy paying for this and some people are paying a lot of money and the game is still not like it's in whatever alpha alpha version but citizen con is going well and people are happy about it and when the game crashes they don't care and when things don't work out they don't care some of it is impressive um the way the world is rendered is you know it's a very big project with a actual rendering of the world someone was talking about the fact that you get into a train and you move through the city and it's not like you see inside the train and all of a sudden you're in another part of the city. You actually move through that city which in which you can go at every portion of it. And so it's coming together a little bit, but we still don't have a date and we still don't have... I mean, at this point, it's really a, a case of, well, I'll be happy when I can pay 60 bucks to get that game. And we'll see how it works out at that point. For now, I'm kind of tired of speculating. Um, Borderlands 2 is coming to PlayStation VR. That's an interesting one. Um, solo only, but adapted hopefully to PlayStation VR. It seems like it has a lot of barf potential, but it has some interesting uh, features like this uh, bump mode, badass motherfucker mode, where time slows down and you can shoot stuff. And I don't know how Borderlands 2 is adapted to VR, but I'm curious to see what happens uh, in that game. I, I like how they actually make it work. Um, barf, though. It's, it's highly barfable. Uh, so, but if they're putting it out, it's, it has to be managed. That aspect of it has to be managed, I'm guessing. Uh, no word on Borderlands 3, though. So that's a bummer. Uh, Microsoft is buying uh, Obsidian Entertainment, and uh, that is more proof that they finally woke up. <laughs> um, they need studios, and we've already seen that they bought, uh, what was it, uh, Ninja Theory, uh, Playground Games, Compulsion Games. I mean, some of them were uh, already kind of second-party games, but yeah, it's, I mean... It's a good thing. We'll have to see how they are managed. But the blueprint really is that of Sony at the moment, which has a number of uh, first-party studios that collaborate, that uh, get the best out of the platform for their own individual game. And uh, I hope that's what Microsoft does for, well, their next console. I don't think most of the... I don't think those studios are working on Xbox One games anymore. Maybe they are, maybe I'm wrong, but I think they've moved on. Um, what else, what else? Uh, Kirkman's, uh, Kirk, Robert Kirkman is finding a deal with Telltale to finish The Walking Dead. So if you have paid for the, um, final season of The Walking Dead, you're going to get your game, hopefully. And they're trying to work with, uh, the actual developers that were working at Telltale. So that's good. Uh, not a perfect solution, but hopefully it, uh, cushions the blow a little bit it would have been better if telltale had actually managed to uh pay their employees for well if they hadn't gone under first of all but if they had managed to to provide uh packages uh for for when they were laid off but you know what you're gonna do um the witcher oh andre uh, sapkowski is unhappy with cd project red and is asking for a lot of money i won't get into the details of this uh it's he, the thing is He's been very vocal about games being crap and uh, games, especially from The Witcher, not not mattering. And um, that feels slimy to be coming to ask more money for whatever reason it is. And I understand there's a legal argument there. And it could be that he has... I mean, he... <laughs> he very openly admits that he asked for some upfront money because he thought the game was going to be crap and that it wasn't going to work out and that uh, he didn't want to take the risk. At the same time, he is saying that it was just a deal for the one game and that they made many. And uh, there's a, a part of the law in Poland that says if you uh, made a deal and it turns out that one of the parties profited a lot more from that deal, then you can revisit it. So legally, he might be entitled to it. Um, but 
as the uh, author of Metro, uh, Russian, I believe, has been saying, uh, he's been very vocal about uh, Sapkowski. He's been saying, you know, if the game didn't exist, your uh, book would have stayed a tiny, obscure little book in Poland or in, in uh, Eastern Europe. And now it's selling all over the world and it's being reprinted everywhere. So you're being a little bit, well, he's being less than polite uh, about this story. So I understand both sides of it. I don't know. I mean, ultimately, uh, CD Projekt is going to cut a check uh, for him and he's going to go away and that's going to be it. I think that's about the conclusion of that. Um, oh, there's going to be a, a live action Monster Hunter movie and a live action Mega Man movie. The team behind the Monster Hunter movie is the one behind the Resident Evil movies, which, as we all know, don't have anything to do with the games, but they're kind of fun in a ham way they're really uh, uh bad movies but fun to watch so maybe monster hunter will be the same maybe i mean i can understand how monster hunter can be turned into a movie Mega Man? yeah i'm not so sure but it's happening uh oh and minecraft is not on um the apple tv anymore and no one noticed so i i was thinking that maybe um, when the Apple TV came out and they had such an emphasis on games, I thought maybe there would be a spot for intermediary gamers, that they would enjoy uh, games that aren't super hardcore and maybe not super casual like they are on the, um, on the mobile, uh, well, on mobiles. And it seems that, you know, at least for Minecraft, there were so few people playing it that it wasn't even worth it to maintain the app on the Apple TV when it's so close to the iOS version. So I'm guessing not many people play on Apple TV. Um, and that promise of intermediary gamers is not uh, becoming real. And uh, I guess that's going to be it. Talking about mobile, Stardew Valley is coming to mobile on iOS uh, at the end of the month. So if you enjoy that, you can play that. And Thumper, a uh, pretty good game. It's coming on Android towards the end of the year, and I'm guessing on iOS after that. Uh, it's a rhythm game, and it, it's pretty fun. Um, some people absolutely adore it. I thought it was a, a decent uh, thing, but I can absolutely see how it would be... Uh, uh, an enjoyable experience on mobile. So I think this is probably going to be a good um, uh, adaptation of a, a, a big console or PC games to mobile. That that seems like it would translate very well. And last topic I wanted to mention is uh, the fact that the Destiny 2 uh, expansions are going to be part of the Destiny 2 Forsaken expansion starting next week. Which is great news because then it means you only need the Forsaken box in order to have the previous expansions. But it's been like a month and a half since the game came out. And they basically forced everyone who hadn't bought those expansions to buy them in order to play Forsaken for a month and a half meaning they kind of milked the people who were already customers. Because, of course, as I've said many times, these expansions, these previous tiny expansions that came out last year, you wouldn't really play through them on your way to Forsaken. You could, but more likely you would just use your uh, level up thing and go straight to Forsaken, especially because those expansions were crap and Forsaken is really good. Um, and I really, I mean, I'm not the kind of person who gets angry at corporations for the sake of it. I, I think usually what they do is, you know, it's fair game most of the time, not all of the time, but I think if you're willing to pay for it, then go ahead. And if you're not, then don't. And that is usually the choice that you have. Um, but in this case, it really bothers me because it means just for a month and a half, when people really wanted to to play your thing, you milk them for another 25 bucks or whatever it was, and then a month and a half afterwards, you drop it? That is really slimy. I it, it, Again, I really enjoy Forsaken. It's not going to deter from my enjoyment of Forsaken. It's a separate thing, I think, but it really irks me quite a bit. So, I mean, I didn't pay for them technically. I got the full thing for the price of Forsaken, so the expansions were free, but... Ah, 
let's say it was Activision's fault. Yes, let's blame the big corporate overlord Activision for all the ills of the gaming industry. Let's do that. And that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, a little bit longer than I thought. This is basically the history of my life. And uh, I thank you for listening. If you did, we will be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully we can talk about... Yeah, I think we will. We'll be talking about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm, of course, as the rest of the world, uh, very excited to put my hands on. My name is Patrick Beja again. I am not Patrick on not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find uh, this show at frenchspin.com. If you want to comment on some of the things I did, please feel free to do so. And we will I will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Talk to you then. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.